So session eight here, guys, the eighth character quality that we want to look at this morning, again, that is another foundational part to all of us learning how to man up is the topic and subject of stewardship. And like the other things we've looked at, I think a major component to us being able to build a stable and inspired course as a man is understanding the real vital importance of this area of stewardship and particularly recognizing that God wants us to be a good and and faithful steward. And the word stewardship, just by way of sort of definition, the job of supervising and taking care of things or the responsibility to manage something and provide oversight. And as men, I think God has certainly assigned and entrusted to us a greater degree of responsibility. And I don't mean that in any way to indicate there's any inferiority of women and that they have not been entrusted with certain roles and responsibilities as well. But I do believe that God has assigned to us, particularly because he has called us to be leaders, a greater degree of responsibility and entrusted to us a greater degree of accountability and stewardship. And he expects us to be responsible and to embrace responsibility as a fundamental part of our masculinity. And let me say that again. He expects us to embrace responsibility as a fundamental part of our masculinity. Those two go hand in hand. God has called you to be a man. God has called you to stewardship and responsibility. And I think those two things are kind of inseparably linked. If you look at the word responsibility, it's defined in the following ways. Let me read you a few of them. Responsibility is defined as having a duty to deal with something, doing what is required as a part of our role. A secondary definition is being accountable or to blame for something. The third definition is as follows. Responsibility, a moral obligation to behave correctly in light of what's expected to us respected of us. So stewardship and responsibility, they kind of go hand in hand. I think they're supporting ideas. And because we've been given a stewardship as men over numerous different areas, really, God's entrusted us and therefore we are now responsible, which means there is a degree of expectation upon our lives. There are certain expectations that We're to handle certain things, to address certain things properly, and therefore we should be held accountable for how we handle those things that have been entrusted to us, that we're responsible for, which really tells us something very simply, that there will always be two main types of stewardship. There's not multiple options here. There are basically two types of stewardship that can happen, that will happen among us as men. We are either going to be good stewards, now maybe you can figure out the second one, or we're going to be bad stewards. There's not a whole lot of other options there. And whether we're good stewards or whether we're bad stewards really is something that's completely dependent upon our choices. We determine by our choices, by how we handle things, by our responsibility levels, whether we are good stewards or poor or bad stewards. Now, there are various areas of stewardship 
Let me just quickly list a few. We're going to try and at the end kind of come back around to these, but just to think of a few when we're talking about this idea of stewardship. Our entire life generally is a stewardship from God. Our walk with the Lord, our relationship with Jesus, that's a stewardship from the Lord. Our time is a stewardship from the Lord. The roles that have been assigned and entrusted to us, different types of roles that we hold in life. Our opportunities are a stewardship. Uh, our uh, potential is a stewardship. We could be a good steward with our potential, or we can be a bad steward with our potential. Our finances and resources, a stewardship. Our talents, our abilities, our aptitudes, God has given to us, stewardships. Our work duties and responsibilities. Our wives, our marriages, a stewardship. Our children, a stewardship. Our thoughts, our emotions, a stewardship. How we manage them, what we do in regards to channeling those things. Now, I think a key verse, it's right on the top of your handout there if you look at for this whole subject of stewardship, if nothing else, it's short and hopefully it's the one that you can take to heart and remember the most. 1 Corinthians 4.2, look at it there. Paul says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, to me, that verse is pregnant with meaning in regards to the subject of stewardship. Notice, Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. First of all, what does the word required indicate? It means something is essential. When something's required, it is absolutely necessary. There are no exceptions, right? It's essential. It's something that's a requirement. So he says regarding stewardship, there's a requirement to it that's absolutely necessary, and the requirement for our stewardship and things is what? He says it's to be faithful, to be dependable, to be reliable, to be committed and devoted, to be responsible, to be dedicated to that thing we have stewardship over, to be someone who follows through and like we talked about, even remember early on in our studies when we talked about the subject of commitment in the first session, the idea there, commitment, faithfulness, same concepts, someone who follows through and finishes things, whatever it takes. That is whatever it requires of us. So we don't look at something and say, oh, well, I'll follow through with that requirement. I'll follow through with that responsibility. I'll follow through with that assignment or that role if it's easy or if it doesn't require extra effort or an additional thing or a little bit more time. The idea there is it's a requirement to be faithful, so therefore whatever it requires of me, I will go to the extent of whatever it requires to be faithful to carry that out to proper completion. And notice he says it's required in the stewards that one be, circle this word, they're found. Faithful. To be found faithful or to be found unfaithful is the idea implying that an evaluation does happen in regards to this. It should happen. Here's the idea of being answerable for something, to be blamed for doing what's wrong and being a poor steward or to be found and commended for having done what's right. The picture here in that concept is being held accountable that something's expected from us and that we should be held accountable. It's in a proper thing. A steward 
should be held accountable. Those two go hand in hand. We need to answer for our degree of faithfulness and properly taking responsibility. Look at the words of Jesus in Luke 16 there in your handout. These are the words of Jesus as he was sharing about the subject of stewardship. He says, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, someone who he entrusted to manage things. That's what stewards do. There was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man, the steward, was wasting his goods. So he called him in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give account of your stewardship. Give an accounting. And then he said to him, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig and I am too ashamed to beg. Now notice from Jesus' words here in this teaching this story that he's sharing, giving insights about stewardship, at least two main lessons pop out very evidently in Jesus' lesson regarding the subject of stewardship there. The first one is this, from the words of Jesus in the passage, is an important aspect of stewardship is not being wasteful. Not being wasteful or negligent. We'll talk more about that later on. But notice, this man was accused, and rightly so, apparently, of what did it say? of wasting his master's goods. Do you see that there? He was being wasteful. And in stewardship, that's not acceptable. When we're managing some type of a stewardship, handling a responsibility, to be wasteful is contradictory to proper stewardship. Failing to properly take care of things because of laziness or irresponsibility or negligence, which we'll talk more about, or just distraction, is not acceptable behavior of a steward because if a stewardship is neglected, problems arise and things deteriorate and waste causes further problematic situations. So good stewardship is the opposite of being wasteful. It's the opposite of wasting things. Instead, good stewardship is paying careful attention to what we're doing, giving proper you know, time and focus to what we're doing, trying to be, we may say, resourceful, trying to be conservative, not being wasteful, but seeking to do the opposite in the situation. So Jesus says part of stewardship's not being wasteful. And then another thing Jesus indicates in this verse here uh, to us is that failure in stewardship can result in loss of opportunity. Loss of opportunity. Because do you see what Jesus is describing here? The master says to this man who failed in his stewardship and was being wasteful, he said to him, look at it there, he says to him, you can no longer be steward. And then when the man was panicking, realizing he was losing his job because of his poor choices, he said, my master is taking the stewardship away from me. So very evident Jesus is teaching us here, failure in stewardship can result in loss of opportunity. We might say losing privilege, losing the opportunity to do something that we once had. Our role can be taken away from us. So whether that's losing a job opportunity, losing a ministry opportunity, losing any opportunity, we can lose privilege. We can ruin a chance we once had to do something if we were poor in our stewardship. So stewardship is an opportunity, it's a privilege, it's a responsibility. If we are wasteful or we don't manage the stewardship properly, 
then one of the realities is a stewardship can be taken away from us. We can lose opportunity. We can lose the privilege to manage what we were once doing. We may not be able to regain that role that we once had. Sometimes we may lose in any area of even think about it between this man and his master, what's damaged there? A relationship was damaged. And so a degree, even in poor stewardship at times, we can ruin, don't ever forget this, gentlemen, we can ruin relationships. And sometimes we can even ruin relationships to the degree we may never be able to regain that relationship. And I don't to some degree think that may even be more sad and grievous of a loss than a loss of a job or a loss of some other opportunity to actually lose a relationship. Uh, that, to some degree, may be way more damaging and not able to be able to restore that. So a stewardship can be lost. It can be taken away. And that's why it is very important to take serious our stewardships because our stewardships can be lost if we're not careful. Titus chapter 1, verse 7, it's there in your handout. Look at this verse. He says, for a bishop, of course, referring there to an overseer in the church, must be blameless. The idea there is without cause to be blamed for some conscious wrong. The word blameless does not mean perfect. No human being was perfect except one, and that was Jesus. We all fail, we all sin, so he's not talking about perfection, being completely free of error. The word blameless means not to blame for some conscious wrongdoing. That is, you're not doing something consciously that you know is wrong in private or in your personal life that you could be held accountable and blamed for if it was exposed, or that you haven't done something, let's say, in the past, and you're just hiding it and never dealing with it. The idea here is to be somewhat of integrity, not consciously blamable for wrongdoing. And then he goes on to say of the overseer as a, there's our term again, steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Now, this verse obviously speaks specifically regarding spiritual leaders or overseers in the Lord's flock. Those who, say, provide oversight in the local church. They've been given a stewardship from God and, again, are expected to be faithful in their oversight of the Lord's people. And God has given some that opportunity and that stewardship. They're entrusted with that important and sacred role to have responsibility to provide oversight within the church. And, of course, that's going to entail being entrusted with the sacred responsibility for the care and welfare of God's family to wisely manage the affairs of God's household, to make decisions on behalf of a group of people, to care for them and lead them, to maintain standards and practices of righteousness, to oversee healthy, sound teaching is happening and the flock is being fed and not misguided to protect the flock, to manage the finances and the resources that belong to God that are a part of a ministry. And God has given these men opportunity to manage and oversee those spiritual affairs. And notice, when you study the Bible, as a part of that personal responsibility, that responsibility in the Scripture is laid upon men. Now, let me say this. Though not all men, I understand, are called to be spiritual leaders within the local church, that's not the calling of all men to become spiritual overseers, all men are called to be spiritual leaders to some degree. 
in our own family, pastoring our own flock, shepherding and guiding and caring and leading our own wife, our own children. We have all been called to some degree as men to provide spiritual oversight and spiritual leadership that is part of a degree of stewardship we've been entrusted with. So in light of that, let me just draw a few principles, if we can, regarding this general verse to the overseers of the church who were men who were providing spiritual oversight because to some degree we all do that. One of the things our verse indicates is that all stewardship, and this may be very evident, but it's worth saying, all stewardship originates from God. You see what he says there? As a steward of God. God is the one who gives to me an opportunity. God is the one who's entrusted to you that responsibility, that privilege. 1 Corinthians 9, 17, it's in your notes there. He says, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. You can take that to heart if you're a man this morning. You have been entrusted with with a degree of stewardship. Colossians 1.25, Paul says there, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me. So as men, God gives to us and entrusts us different types of stewardship to handle in our lives. But don't overlook, though that sounds very simplistic, don't overlook, that's also a pretty heavy responsibility. Because if God is the manager or the master who has entrusted to me a degree of stewardship, guess who I'm answering to? To God. Not to this person, to that person. I'm answering to God for the sacred, huge stewardship that's been entrusted to me by him. And he is the one ultimately, like the master in our other story, who's going to hold me accountable. Are you wasting your stewardship? Are you neglecting your stewardship? Do I need to hold you account? Do I need to take away that stewardship from you? And so God holds us to account because all stewardship originates from him. And notice, I think in this verse, we also see an indicator of a main interference to good stewardship. And I want to identify that. I want to be a good steward. What could interfere with good stewardship? What could be something that hinders me from good stewardship? I think you could simplify it in one word selfishness selfishness because you notice the latter half of the verse it's almost as if he indicates some of what interferes with good stewardship he says in verse uh, chapter uh, titus 1 verse 7 here a bishop must be blameless as a steward of god and then look what he starts to rattle off not self-willed that seems to indicate if i'm selfish and i'm a self-willed individual meaning i want to do my will i want to do things my way I ultimately want to be in charge, then God says, you're not going to be a very good steward. If you're a self-willed person who can't say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, you're not going to be a very good steward. If you're a self-willed, self-driven person who needs to be in control, who always wants to be the determining factor, and you're even overriding the will of the Lord at times in just human selfishness, that's going to interfere with stewardship. Notice he also refers being not quick-tempered. That's what got Moses in trouble with his stewardship. Remember Moses spoke to the rock the first time when the children of Israel were complaining, and God said, Moses, the first time, I'm sorry, strike the rock, and he struck the rock, and water came forth and quenched the thirst of the people. And then later on, as it happened routinely again and again, the people started grumbling and complaining, and then God told Moses, Moses, this time I just want you to speak to the rock. 
and it will bring forth water. And you remember what happened. Moses, in his frustration, the meekest man of the earth, failed in his utter frustration because he was just pushed to the edge. And in his erroneous moment, in his stewardship, he got quick-tempered, and he, you rebels, do I need to keep bringing water? And he struck the rock a second time when he was just told to speak to it that time. He became self-willed, and in quick temper, in his anger, he really blew his stewardship. And remember, that rock was to be a picture of Christ. Christ was struck once to bring forth the living waters of life, but Jesus doesn't have to be continuously struck. Now we just need to speak to the rock, speak to Christ, and he brings forth by faith the living waters that we need. But Moses blew a major type, but what he did even worse, he blew a major stewardship. Because you remember what God said to him after Moses struck that rock the second time, and God was merciful to the complaining people still. That's the frustrating part. <laughs> God's still nice to the grumblers and all those who were in petty frustration causing Moses' issue. But he said to Moses, uh, Moses, can you come here a minute, son? Can we talk about what you just did there? You have a stewardship. And your anger has just, what? Lost you the opportunity to take the people into the land now. Moses, in a sense, lost the ultimate end goal of his stewardship. I mean, this guy did 40 years with people complaining and hassling. And I mean... And, and, and put in, and at the end of it, something got lost because of a failure in stewardship. He lost the privilege to be able to take them in. Again, his anger became a huge interference in his life, something we have to be careful of. He mentions being not given to wine. Again, needing to indulge, that taking over our lives, you know, abusing substances. To, that can become an interference. Certainly, alcohol, drugs substance abuse addiction to anything for that matter can can interfere because that monopolizes our life more than stewardship not being violent greedy for money again i've seen more than once where, where someone just with a love for money or greed for money ends up tainting their stewardship because they become more in love with wealth and what it offers and what it provides and in their pursuit of wealth they neglect other stewardships. I have watched so many men put their wives and their children on the altar as they were so preoccupied with making a few more bucks and getting a little more successful and progressing a little bit further. And listen, I am not endorsing laziness and not working hard and not trying to achieve and get ahead. It's not what I'm saying. But you have a stewardship. And you can always find another job. I don't recommend trying to find another wife. And those children were given to you, not to someone else. And so be very careful that just in the pursuit of success and career and identity, you don't neglect the stewardship of your family. It's a real danger for us as men. And we have to be very, very cautious in regards to that so that we don't fail. If you're a note taker, phrase I want to give to you here, privilege and responsibility go hand in hand. Privilege and responsibility go hand in hand. Look at Luke 12, Jesus' words once again in your handout there. Luke 12, verse 42 to 48. Look what Jesus says. He implies that here. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? 
whom his master will make ruler over his household to give their portion of food in season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing or so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he has. So notice good stewardship leads to advancement. It leads to greater forms of stewardship. You've handled that well. You can handle more things. You can handle greater things. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. Notice, by being negligent of the reality that I have a stewardship and I should be humbly appreciative and faithful to it, when we begin to deviate in that area, what do we start to do? He describes in this passage here, we start to mistreat people. He's beating the male and female servants. He's being authoritarian. He's beginning to mistreat people and poor stewardship. And then he's eating and drinking and getting drunk. He's overindulging things to excess. The master of that servant going on, Jesus says, will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. So notice, the one who knew the master's will but didn't prepare to do it properly and was negligent and wasteful and who did not follow through with it obediently and do his master's will, though he knew it clearly, he says there's going to be a greater degree of severity in the consequential outcome and the discipline for that, because he knew better. But the one who did not know and in ignorance did it, well, he'll suffer, but he won't be held as strictly accountable because he simply did not know and understand. But Jesus knows that. He knows what that means in each of our lives. And then he concludes, look at the last statement, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will require the more. Again, the point of Jesus' teaching here, the more responsibility that is given, the more is required of us. Those two just go hand in hand. When we have been given more responsibility, then it is totally appropriate that more is required of us. More, let me go on to say, more should be required of us. Right? I hope if you're raising children, mine are all adults and married now, but I hope as they progress through different stages and age levels that you appropriately, if you don't want to raise a snowflake child, that you cause them to gradually take on greater responsibility. Why do I have to do that? Because you're not five anymore. Your sister's five. Your brother's five. You're not five. So, with your age, there comes a little more responsibility, and you have some privileges maybe that you're younger, but this is just natural, healthy progression that with more responsibility, with more growth, with more understanding, you know more, right? What did Jesus say? The one who knew his master's will but didn't prepare and didn't do it, he endured a more severe consequence because Jesus, in essence, was saying, you knew better. This person didn't know better. And I think, again, whether it's raising kids, Listen, you know better. You're not six anymore. You're 12 now. You, you know better. You're a, so I expect you to act like a 12-year-old, or I expect you to act like a 17-year-old, or an 18-year-old. And again, this is an important thing to realize. 
I wonder if sometimes we as men can become guilty of the same thing if our father maybe isn't saying the same thing to us. Listen, you, you know better. You know better. You know my word. You've been walking with me for a little while, and, and if perhaps to some degree. The father doesn't hold us accountable, but very important to remember that having privilege requires taking on responsibility. Those two go hand in hand. If we're going to experience a degree of privilege, then responsibilities come along with that. And if we're not willing to embrace responsibility, then we're not ready to handle privilege yet. And that's an important adult thing, and particularly, I think, for younger men to help them to understand that reality. You want the privileges of being a married man? No problem. We all did. But you've got to be willing to embrace the responsibility of what it means to be a man. And vice versa, that when you are willing to embrace those responsibilities, then guess what? The blessing is you get the privileges that go along with that because you're embracing the responsibility, so now you get to enjoy the privileges. But if we're not properly managing privilege, to some degree, it's an indicator we're not prepared maybe to handle responsibility yet. J.D. Rockefeller, he said this, kind of in connection to this concept. He said, I believe that every right implies a responsibility, every opportunity, an obligation, and every possession, a duty. Great statement in regards to kind of reinforcing even what Jesus is conveying there, privilege and responsibility to everyone who much is given, of him much more will be required. They go together. Remember this phrase, I, I kind of would say, make it a life conviction. As a man, negligence is not acceptable. As a man, negligence is not acceptable. You know, years ago when I first kind of had this little acronym in my head, the, the man up, and I was, you know, meeting with a few different young men here there at times, and I was talking to them, I, and, and for the, the man up, the M-A-N-U-P, I kind of had some different, you know, M was, you know, meaning for your life is essential. You know, A is, you know, authority is to be respected. The N for the man was negligence is not acceptable. <laughs> if you're going to man up, if I'm going to man up, negligence, it's just not acceptable. The two cannot coexist together. Negligence is failure to take proper care of doing something that we should. And neglect or negligence is never good or healthy. It always leads to deterioration of things. It always leads to things being not addressed and the ruin and, and, and falling apart of what's important. Proverbs 24 in your notes there kind of addresses this idea. Proverbs 24, verse 30 and 31. He says, I walk by the field of a lazy person. We could put in there a negligent person. The vineyard of one with no common sense, so it applies to me there that laziness or negligence means that we're not using common sense, that common sense tells us in stewardship and responsibility that negligence, it's just, it's not acceptable in life. It doesn't work. We, we can't be negligent and fail to take proper care of doing things. I saw that, he says, area, it was overgrown with nettles, it was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. So again, we have responsibilities, we have stewardships, negligence is just not an acceptable option. Sir Josiah Stamp said this, it's easy to dodge our responsibilities, but we cannot dodge the consequences 
of dodging our responsibilities. Easy to dodge our responsibilities, but we cannot ever dodge the consequences of dodging our responsibilities. I think if I were, again, my perspective, you're free to disagree. If I were to identify one of the top few things that I feel like are grievous failures that men can commit, one of them I would say is the area of negligence. I think one of the greatest mistakes we can make as men is failing to be a man who's responsible and acting negligently more like an immature boy. Little boys are negligent. Little boys are irresponsible. Little boys are wasteful. We're not Peter Pan. We're men. Men can't be negligent. It, it, it doesn't go with masculinity. A part of being a man is embracing fully responsibility and taking proper care of doing what we need to do, not neglecting what's right and important, and stepping forward and embracing our responsibilities and not letting selfishness or laziness or cowardice or whatever it may be cause us to default and to start to become negligent in our roles and responsibilities. Ezra chapter 10, I love the way that this is stated here. Ezra 10, he's dealing with a complicated situation. You can go read the background if you want. There's a problematic situation among the people of God. And this statement comes forth as an exhortation to Ezra in the complicated situation. Look at it, Ezra 10 verse 4. He hears these words spoken to him. Arise, Ezra, for this matter is your responsibility. Be of courage and do it. I like that. Ezra, arise. This matter, maybe this is the Lord's word for one of you this morning. This matter, it's your responsibility. Not your wife's responsibility. Not someone else's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Embrace the responsibility Take on the situation, be of good courage, do it, take care of it, lead the way through it, resolve it, work through it. Even if something's challenging and hard to handle, as it is sometimes, guys, as men, we have to, at times, choose not to think about our own happiness, to not think about our own desire to please others, our own personal comforts. Sometimes as men, we just have to step forward and do our duty because that's what men do. That's what we're supposed to do, to embrace our responsibility. Abraham Lincoln, great leader and great man, he said this, you can't escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. Better to just embrace it today. You can't escape the responsibility of tomorrow, he says, by just evading it today. As men, we have to live to a higher standard, so it's simply not an option to be negligent. We have to be responsible and reliable. We need to step into things and take on responsibilities for matters and be faithful to our roles. I think two men in the Bible, I put it in your handout there, described in very high regard for not only their character, but are great examples of this topic of stewardship are both Joseph and Daniel. I think a good life study of Joseph from Genesis 37 to 50 is where we see his life. Great examples of stewardship in Joseph's life. And the entire book of Daniel, if you kind of look at Daniel's life from a character perspective of handling responsibility and being a good steward, 
both of their lives are worth studying in regards to the subject. Winston Churchill, who often was referred to as the British Bulldog, many of you know him, he's the one who led Britain to victory in World War II. He said this little statement, I think it's a great quote. He said, the price of greatness is responsibility. I like that. The price of greatness is responsibility. That's the cost. If we want to be great in anything, we must realize it is a great responsibility and my personal responsibility is directly essential. It's connected to, it's the currency of being able to experience any form of greatness in anything. The price of greatness is responsibility. Now, to tie up our time together, let me just address some areas of stewardship. I referenced them at the beginning, just to kind of maybe consider and think through just practically for a few moments here, what this looks like practically. What does stewardship look like practically? Obviously, one of the most obvious and evident areas of stewardship is just simply our entire life, right? Our life generally was entrusted to us, given to us by God. We understand that from Adam's origin. You know, God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God gave Adam his life. It was entrusted to him as a stewardship. Acts 17, verse 25, it's in your notes there, says that God gives us life and breath and all things, right? Completely given by God, from birth, completely dependent upon God to keep it existing. Not one of you this morning has thought about keeping yourself breathing the whole time you've been listening to me. God's been doing that for you. He controls our next breath. He controls keeping our heart beating. Our, our life is a stewardship from God. Psalm 139 also implies this idea. I encourage you to read through that section of Psalm 139. It's in your handout in there because there, Psalm 139 clearly emphasizes this idea that all of our lives have been uniquely created by God with a set purpose. The Bible says that God knit us together in our mother's womb, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, uniquely, specifically, with specific aptitudes and particular temperaments and the way God hardwired us and, and our different gifts and talents and just who we are. God's given us specific purpose. The Bible tells us, Psalm 139, that God's written all of our days into his book before one ever came to be. We're living life kind of a page at a time. We, we, we live the page for the day, and, and it was a bad day or a bad, just, just turn the page and start tomorrow. But, but we can't do that. God's in complete control, and God knows the start of the book. He knows what chapter you're in right now, in case you don't like the chapter. Life has multiple chapters. It has seasons. And God knows the end of the book. So the best thing to do is to realize my life is a stewardship from God. It's been outlined. God knows the whole record of it. doesn't mean fatalistic. He controls everything we do. We have free will. We can make choices. But God knows the record of it, which means God knows when I'm going to make that good decision. And God knows, yeah, chapter 10, that wasn't too good for Tony. Few decisions he made in chapter 9 made chapter 10 not so good. But God knows the whole record. So what's the wisest thing to do as a man? To realize my life's a stewardship from God. I need to get to know God and realize, God, my life is a gift from you. It belongs to you. My life has a unique set purpose. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, the worst sin against stewardship is to waste your own life. To waste your own life. How sad. Many of us did that before we 
came to Christ, but certainly now we realize our life's a gift from God and that we would use our life as good stewards because we know that God gave it to us. Secondly, our relationship with God. That's a huge stewardship, how we serve the Lord. We've been entrusted with the stewardship of being a Christian, being a follower of Christ. The Bible tells us to walk worthy of the calling that we've received. Our Christian walk is a stewardship. Jesus saved you. Now you know him. It's a stewardship to live out your Christian life, to live godly, to serve the Lord, to, to find what he's called you to do, to, to, you know, to, to know those good works that he's foreordained for you to walk. And it's a stewardship, your Christian walk, a great stewardship from the Lord. We have a stewardship, thirdly as well, over our moral purity as men. And this is an area, again, where it's a great challenge, but something that we are responsible for. 1 Thessalonians 4 describes very clearly how we are to abstain from forms of sexual immorality in all the ways that that can unfold in wrong ways, that we're to abstain from that. And he, and he goes on to say there that each is to learn how to possess, the idea is to control, to steward over his own vessel, these physical bodies, we're to learn how to possess and manage in stewardship our own vessel in a way that's proper and appropriate. And he says, not like the heathen who don't know God, for God's called us to holiness and to cleanness. And if we reject this concept of stewardship over our body and our physical, moral, and sexual purity, he says, we're rejecting God and we're rejecting what the Holy Spirit's called us to. Because again, this is something God's given to us, and so we're, if we're managing our moral purity to try and retain that until we enter into marriage, and look, even after that point, we are to be managing our physical bodily vessel throughout our entire life. It's a stewardship to learn how to exercise self-control and be wise and manage our bodily desires. Look, God gave you a sex drive. He's not a prude. God hardwired that sex drive into you. But because God gave it to you, you're also to learn how to channel it and to express it properly and in an appropriate way. And it's a stewardship that we're to manage. I love Genesis 39 because it's probably one of the greatest stories of Joseph doing what's honorable in this area, right? Remember, Joseph was, in a sense, approached by Potiphar's wife, and Joseph refrains from her sexual advancements and says, how can I sin and do this evil in God's sight? It was a great wickedness. And Joseph shows, listen... And this is always the, the stickler for us. Genesis 39, Joseph doesn't have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You and I do if we're born-again Christians. Joseph has, doesn't have an entire copy of the full canon of Scripture and Old and New Testaments. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not see. He didn't have a copy of the whole Bible. Joseph didn't have the church and the body of Christ and a bunch of wonderful brothers to keep him accountable and to utilize accountability and, and help of the body of Christ. He was in Egypt in a pagan system taken away from everybody and everything. If anybody wanted to get away with sleeping with Potiphar's wife, he could have done that and probably never even got caught. But yet with no accountability, with no mentor in his life, with no copy of the Bible, and not the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, he chose in stewardship to keep integrity and to honor his moral purity in self-control and out of love for God. Now, to me, that's always a strong conviction because I have to say, if Joseph did that, I'm really kind of out of excuses and options because <laughs> I have even way more at my disposal. 
Another major area of stewardship is our time, right? We all have an equal amount of time. Psalm 90 tells us, number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom or a wise heart. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 4 tell us that we're to be redeeming the time, making the most of our time, buying up responsibilities, using our time redemptively. And again, this is a major area of stewardship where we can default as men or we can do well. I don't think we should ever be negligent in regards to realizing one of the most valuable assets we all have, gentlemen, is time. We all have an equal amount of time, but how do you steward your time? How do I manage my time? It's a huge stewardship, learning how to properly manage our time in wise ways, not wasting time. Remember, that was part of the stewardship conversation earlier, not wasting time, but using time making time, scheduling time. Again, it's an area of stewardship that's very important. Our roles that have been assigned to us, we've been entrusted with different roles in life from time to time. Our roles are stewardships. Another area of stewardship is opportunities. Again, God opens doors. God gives us a chance to do things. Galatians 6.10, I put it in your notes there. He talks about, as we have been given opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those who are part of the household of God. But again, notice the Bible says, as we've been given, key word there, opportunity. God gives us opportunities at times. From time to time, there will be opportunities that God presents to us, and God says, okay, here's an opportunity. What are you going to do with it? I'm presenting to you an opportunity. And so again, to realize opportunities are a stewardship from God. We can waste an opportunity, we can miss an opportunity, or we can capitalize on an opportunity and realize this is an opportunity, it's a stewardship. What am I gonna do with it? He gives us open doors and chances to do things. Look at Jesus' words, Revelation 3.8. It's in your handout there. He says, I have set before you an open door. That's one of the things that Jesus will do at times. Jesus will operate in a way in our life by his authority, by his favor and power and control. Now, he can close a door too. But he also says there are times where he would say to us, I've set before you an open door here. I've set the open door in front of you. Don't miss the opportunity. I've set the door and the openness of that door in front of you. And sometimes that's a stewardship to embrace that open door and opportunity. Of course, obviously, another major area of stewardship is our finances, our resources, managing money wisely. That's one of the main areas of stewardship as well that many of us have to take responsibility before. Again, and this is not rocket science here, just simplistic things. It means expenses less than income. It's not a rocket science thing. <laughs> Good stewardship with money. It means I have to navigate things and, and figure out ways where I keep my expenses at or, if anything, below my income. That's just good stewardship with money. And if, and if that's not happening, then we, we can't just keep wasting and neglecting that. We have to look at ways to reconcile that, which is one of two things. Reduce expenses or increase income. That's the only way you can reconcile that. <laughs> Either we adjust somehow, we do something or some things to reduce expenses, or we figure out ways to generate more income, because if we don't do that, stewardship unravels financially, and it causes us then to go down pathways of debt and things that become just very detrimental, 
and, and again, this will become something that will become very harmful, not just to you personally, but if you have a marriage and a family life, all the more. Again, I can't encourage you enough. Do what you can to avoid debt. Be careful. Stay out of that. The borrower is servant to the lender. It is a form of enslavement. And, and something in the American culture, we have just accepted that it's just a part of the way we do stuff. Listen, don't take your financial advice and your financial patterns from the government. Bad idea. Really bad idea. God's word gives us instruction. Be responsible. It's, it's kind of a common sense thing there, but it's something that does. It takes the effort to be on top of that, paying attention to that. Our talents and response, or our talents and abilities are a stewardship. First Peter 4.10 says, each one has received a gift. Notice, use it as good stewards of God's grace. So God's given you gifts, spiritual gifts. They're stewardships. Exercise those stewardships. Exercise those spiritual giftings from the Lord. Don't waste them. Don't squander them. God's given you talents, just natural talents, abilities, all types of different talents God gives to us. Those talents and abilities, use them. That's a stewardship from God. Don't waste that talent. Exercise that talent. Use that ability. Our work duties at the jobs that we hold. Joseph, again, great example in Potiphar's house, then in prison, Genesis 39. Great chapter about being a good steward in the job place, managing one's responsibilities well. As I alluded to earlier, another area, our wives and children. Stewardship, major stewardship from the Lord. Probably one of the greatest privileges and stewardships that we have is to have the stewardship of loving and caring and serving and leading our wives. Same thing, loving and caring and raising and serving our children. Be very careful that you don't, in familiarity or busyness, or as I said, all the, that you don't neglect the stewardship of your marriage, the stewardship of your children. Huge, huge stewardship, and sometimes other things can many times distract us, it seems, in the stewardship of our domestic lives. Be real careful of that, guys. I, I can't encourage you enough as men. Again, Jesus said you can gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. That's poor stewardship. But in the same way, gaining the whole world and forfeiting your marriage or forfeiting your children, don't, don't do that. Too many guys I've talked to in latter years with great regret in their hearts over that. Pay attention. That's a privilege to have your marriage and your children to raise them. And then one other area I think that we shouldn't overlook is just our thoughts and desires and emotions. We got a stewardship with that. Proverbs speaks about this. He who vents all his feelings is full. So again, we have thoughts, we have desires, we have emotions, but we have to manage those things, right? We have to manage those things, which means I can't, again, begin to justify, oh, well, I just, this is just, my, my emotions are overtaking me, or I'm just, I just can't control my anxiety, or I'm, uh, my depression's gone out of control. Listen, it's a stewardship. Everybody gets discouraged. Everybody feels depressed. Everybody gets anxious. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just trying to help something that I feel like is being just justified and is just taking people way off course. And everybody is just medicating themselves and medicating everyone or making different issues out of everything, some of which many a times a great percentage of it is just this is life. Life has adversity. We have feelings and thoughts and emotions, and sometimes I feel very depressed. I do. 
Sometimes we can really feel very anxious, but the key is it's a stewardship. We have to learn by God's grace and God's help to control our thoughts, to manage those things, to process them, maybe talk to someone, seek the Lord in prayer. And it's amazing how oftentimes in very healthy ways we can cope with those things and manage them and not go down tracks that become very unhealthy by just failing to see it as a stewardship and responsibility to manage those things. Again, the whole concept of stewardship is just how we utilize things. And one of the greatest motivators to that is remembering I'm managing things that are not my own. If I'm managing something that's not my own, then I'm accountable to the person who I'm managing it for. So we can take all of those ideas there, and it helps us think differently if I realize my life belongs to God. My walk with Christ, it's a privilege that's been entrusted to me. My time belongs to God. My money belongs to God. My wife belongs to God. My children belong to God. All my opportunities have come from God. My, my potential is something given to me by God. My work and my job, it's a gift and an opportunity from God. And again, when we see life that way, it really helps us process this area much better. I'll leave you with a quote from Randy Alcorn. He said this regarding stewardship. Stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. After all, what is stewardship except that God has entrusted to us life, time, talents, money, possessions, family, and his grace? In each case, he evaluates how we regard what he has entrusted to us and what we did with it. And Father, we humbly ask as a group of men that you would help us, Lord, to embrace this aspect of stewardship in our lives. Lord, we humbly together ask that you'd forgive us where we have failed and fallen short at times. And Lord, we, we acknowledge that, we apologize for that, and we just pray that by your grace and your spirit that you would help us to continue to seek to be better stewards, good stewards, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit's grace, empower us to do what we are unable to do in our own weakness. But, Lord, we want to recognize our own responsibility and acknowledge it before you. Help us, Lord, to seek to be good stewards that can be found faithful by you in all that we manage and handle in our time on this earth. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you again this morning and glad you came out.